Mac Power Users, Episode 129, Workflows with Lex Friedman. Hello, everyone. This is David Sparks. Along with me is Katie Floyd. Hi, Katie. Hey, David. And today we've got a special guest, Lex Friedman. Welcome to the show, Lex. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, well, you know, I've got this secret crush on you. We, uh... <laughs> I, I even Not arranged so secret. I even arranged for a date at Macworld. I I wrote them in advance. I said, "Can we get together? I'd like to talk to you." I just think Lex, the stuff you do is really cool, and um, I'm really glad you're on the show. Uh, for those of you who don't know Lex, shame on you. Um, he is a uh, uh, a writer at Macworld who has just a, a senior writer, I uh, believe. That's yeah. right. That's right. You, you guys have so many titles over there. I get really confused when I start hearing them. So I just call <laughs> you a writer. If that's okay. But but really, what Lex is for me is a trusted voice. I really I think the stuff you put out is always very interesting, and sometimes they're very funny stories about just stuff that's happening to you in relation to technology. But it's also um, it's very good, well, well-reasoned opinions, and I enjoy it. Um, uh, but you also do a lot of other stuff. You're a man that wears many hats. You are the host of the Unprofessional podcast, uh, which is a, a fantastic podcast. We're going to put a link in the show notes for people. I think you should go check it out. Thank you. And you're an author. And, you know, uh, uh, you know unlike these, uh, these guys who are only capable of writing books about technology, <laughs> like me, um, cause, and you do that. I mean, you have the iTunes Match book out and a couple other books. Uh, but you've also really got interesting <laughs> titles out there. You've got the Snuggy Sutra, which is uh, – I don't even know how you came up with the idea for that. I'm not sure I want to know, but uh, – <laughs> But, but, but it is family safe, right? Uh, you know, of of my two non-tech books, I would say that's the one <laughs> that I don't leave low enough for my kids to reach. Oh, yeah. okay. No. I think it's it's safe enough for work. The Snuggie Sutra is, of course, you know, it's it's the Kama Sutra, but with Snuggies. And the right. Snuggies in the book cover anything that you wouldn't want people to see. Yeah. But, I mean, it's still it's still a guide to, you know, Kama Sutra style things. I, I'm learning yeah. things just looking at the cover. So that's all <laughs> I'm going to say. <laughs> all right. And, let's, and, and your other book is... I think, I think Katie just blushed. So no, a, we're moving on. <laughs> The, the other book is, is the took four this years. Is this is why we don't do the show in person. It, it, it took four years, but we pulled it off. That was that was one of my goals. Uh, All right, I so, feel like I've I've brought you down to my level now. I feel much more comfortable. Okay, well, at least we're there together. And and then the, the other one is the kid in the crib, uh, the Doctor Seuss parody. That one, yeah, yeah. That one's family friendly. It's uh, I mean, it's not for kids, but that one I you know I can read it to my kids and, and not be worried that they're going to get traumatized. Yeah. Well, well, Lex. In addition to all the stuff, you're just a big, big Mac nerd like the rest of us. And uh, it's true. And so you're doing all these things. You're producing podcasts and writing, and um, you're many things. And uh, I thought it would be fun to talk about how you pull all this stuff off. So, tell us what you do and how you do it. Well, first, I should you know say thank you. You said many nice things about me now, and I'm I'm glad I paid you to do that. Uh, I would say that the vast majority of the writing I do, whether it's, you know, the, the fiction humor books or it's the tech writing for Macworld or anything else happens in BB edit because I'm not too original. Um, and I, I think that the, the number one reason I rely on BB edit for all of those things is because, uh, it stays out of my way and it, uh, I don't know. It, it just, it stays out of my way and it's powerful enough to do the things to my text that I want to do. Uh, you know, uh, Jason Snell over at Macworld has, uh, I don't know, about half a dozen or so 
scripts that we use to mess around with our text so that I can prepare for our CMS the right way or clean up stuff that I've gotten from somewhere else. I have a couple of my own saved BB edit packages to do fun things. And so BB edit is at the crux of the Lex Friedman system of writing management. Let's talk about that a little bit before you get too far off from there, because BB edit is something that I have tried many times to get into. And I keep coming back to what I'll call as a very, a more very simplistic text editor, like something like ByWord, because BB edit, I just get in front of and I'm like, all I want to do is write text. And, and this is a little intimidating to me. And why do I need to be able to have scripts and all of these other things in, in my text? So if you're not coding something, and if you're not actually publishing it to the, getting ready to publish it directly to the web with BDF, but if you're truly just doing plain text, talk to me a little bit about some of those scripts and those, some of those things that you can do with BB edit that make it worthwhile. Sure. So, I mean, like you and I'm, I'm, I know David, um, I use text expander for a lot of things, but with BB edit, I can get, I can do text expander style, uh, shortcuts without, that are BB edit specific without having to actually rely on a shortcut. So let me give you a very specific example. Sometimes I'll use a text expander shortcut that takes the link that I have on the clipboard and I type HRF and it puts the, the A link tag, it puts the link in the right place and it has the cursor in between the, the A tag so that I can type whatever the link tag should be, which is great. But more often I figure what I'm going to write first and then I know where the link should go. And there's no great text expander way to take already typed text and highlight some and put a link there. But BB Edit has perfect means of doing something like that. So I have a, a little shortcut where I can highlight the text and I hit my own specified shortcut of shift command A and it takes the highlighted text and immediately wraps it in A tags with the link that I have on the clipboard. Um, that's, you know, a very tiny and specific example, but it's one that I use um, when I'm writing for Macworld, which is a, a link heavy kind of writing. I use it a dozen times a day or more. Uh, because it's it's just such an efficient way if I've already typed something to avoid any duplicate effort because I can just hit this little shortcut and BB Edit makes it super easy to put that thing in and, and then it's done. Um, it's, now, now, let's start stop right there for just a second. Now, are you doing that in HTML or Markdown? I, d ten, I tend to do it in HTML. BB okay. Edit can handle either way. I am not uh, a huge Markdown fan. Okay. Mac, Macworld loves Markdown, but Lex and we're done with this now. Markdown. Thanks, Lex. Bye. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm no, sorry. I get it. Yeah, because you 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 kind of grew up in HTML, so you are right. you're already there. You're it's the uh, the ultimate the ultimate goal of Markdown is to put out clean and efficient um, HTML. But if you already write in clean and efficient HTML, why put that intermediate step? In? Why have to learn something else? Sure. Right. And, you know, I, we get a lot of markdown from other writers and that's fine and I can handle it. And like I mentioned before, another BB edit package that I use constantly is this one from Jason that, uh, converts, uh, converts markdown into HTML that we're ready to just drop right in. Um, but I don't know for me, it's, I have to do a, a double translation in my head to do markdown because I know what it's going to translate it to. And, and like you just said, David, you know, I'm, I grew, well, I can't say I grew up using HTML, but I came up with HTML from its infancy, I think. And so I've just, I got comfortable enough in it that learning markdown seemed like, uh, seemed like learning an extra foreign language that I didn't need. Yeah. Sure. See, and I'm just on the exact opposite of that spectrum because I really had no interest in HTML when it was happening. I was, uh, you know, if you, if you want to go there, I was like playing with, was it 68,000 assembly code on my Apple II a long time ago? But uh, <laughs> but I didn't even understand it. It was more like, you know, okay, 
I'll just put this command in and pray. But the um, but the <laughs> HTML never was a thing that I did, and and so when I got to writing for the web in Sirius for Max Sparky, uh, I just went straight to Markdown because I didn't want to the goof with HTML and and you know frankly I just don't like the way HTML looks in terms of proofreading and things like that. So I'm one of those dreadful Macworld writers who likes to use uh, Markdown. I'll tell you, you're doing fine because there are many Macworld editors who love it. Uh, but it's it's interesting to me how much of a a philosophical difference it is because people who love Markdown love Markdown, and it's I'm, I definitely I've tried. I there was when I I wrote for Tidbits as a staff writer for a while, and they were very big on Markdown, and they they wanted it in Markdown. I couldn't cheat and give them HTML instead, and I I couldn't you know even after months of doing it, it always felt forced for me. I never got I never got it to be second nature. Well, I, I guess. That kind of makes sense. I don't know. I mean, I don't know that it's really a you know a religious thing. I guess it's just whatever works for you. It's just a tool. Um, That's right. But the um, but either way, uh, and that for me, and we've talked about this on the show before. I, that's I think my hang up with things like BB Edit is is Brett Terpstra kind of ruined it for BB Edit for me because he did all those services uh, uh, you know that are just available throughout the OS ten operating system. So. Uh, I can work in a, a system like Byword, and I can select text and apply a service with a keyboard shortcut that does the same kind of thing you're talking about with the tools you're using in, in BB Edit. So, you know, when you're getting the same place and you can use any word processor or text editor, I think that's that's why I never really really got into it. I, I bought TextMate. I bought BB Edit. I haven't bought Sublime Text, even though most of my friends are claiming how great it is. <laughs> and uh, I think I'm just going to stay off the train for that one. I think it's okay. I think it's okay to sit out some of the upstarts that come out there, even when people love them. If you have a system that works, it's, there's always a chance that something is better, but there's you still have to deal with that time shift of mastering the new thing and getting as good at it as you are at the thing you already love. So sometimes I'm content to just stick with the thing I love, even if I hear about new hotness. It seems the BB sure. Edit, though, if you're going to pick one, I, it seems to me like that's the one. Because... It's been around for I think is it twenty or twenty five years. They've yeah, I know, think it's twenty five. You know, and Glenn Fleischman wrote a really great book on it, so you can get really great at it and with a little investment of time and and you know an application with twenty five years of staying power. Well, there's a pretty good chance it's going to be around here for a few years. So that's right. You're not going to lose the time you put into uh, figuring it out. I'll tell you another thing that I really rely on BB edit for is I, well, first I use this little, uh, menu bar app called quick cursor, which I think is now not supported, but maybe they're going to start supporting again or somebody else is going to take it over. But it's, it's an otherwise free app where wherever I'm editing text, I hit my custom keyboard shortcut for quick cursor and it takes that text and puts it into a new BB edit document. And I edit to my heart's content, hit command W to close, hit command or hit command S to save it and command W to close. And it immediately pastes whatever that edited text was back to wherever I started from. So it's basically uh, send my text that I'm editing on this web form or this email app or whatever into BB Edit and then send it back again when I'm done. So I do that when I have long Gmail emails to reply to because I'm, I'm a, a sick person and I my email client is Gmail in a site-specific browser. And so when I get a message that needs a lot of inline replying, I send it over to Quick Cursor. And then I have a little keyboard shortcut for a BB Edit package that I'll hard wrap it so that I can do old style quoting with a carrot in front, uh, broken nicely at 80 characters and get all my replies in in line and then send it on back. And 
So that's that's another thing. BB edit. It's I mean to me it sounds when I'm describing it to you now it sounds ridiculous and nerdy and like a Rube Goldbergian style contraption, but it works really well. And I don't even think about it now. And it's just how I handle long email. And you know, right. um, and that's I think a lot of us do stuff like that. Like I have a similar uh, round trip between NVLT and Byword because you can do the same thing. Now right. I got totally derailed though because you said quick cursor is not a right round. That was one of Jesse Grosjean's, um projects i believe the guy who does right room and um was it hogbay software i believe because i, yes, bought, I right. bought that in the app store i'm just looking it up right now yeah so it's he pulled it from the mac app store because there was no way to do what it did with sandboxing since it's trying uh. to send text between apps and so he made the source code freely available on github and you can there are places where you can download a fully packaged executable version and i believe dan frakes at macworld who loves quick cursor and who turned me on to in the first place says that somebody is thinking of taking it over. I think actually, I think Rob Griffiths from many tricks has said on Twitter, uh, that, uh, many tricks is considering taking on the quick cursor mantle, but no decision has been made. You know what those guys, if they did, it would be great. I'm sure. Yes. Cause that's exactly what they do. Well, is those little utilities. Like I use, I use the heck out of Moom still, you know, and, I love Moom. And there's only about, 500 apps in the app store that talk about resizing windows, but, <laughs> but that's all, but moon, <laughs> moon does the best. Yeah. I, I don't know if I'm, if I'm allowed to talk about moon yet or not, uh, before go I, for I have it. to say, because the thing with, you know, at first with moon, I was just using that thing where you mouse over the, the green button in the menu bar and, or in the, the window title bar, and then you can drag what size window you want. Yeah. But then I was co-presenting with Dan Frakes at Macworld uh, on Mac Gems, and when we were talking about Moom, he mentioned how you can save these presets and assign those keyboard shortcuts. And I didn't even I, I didn't even understand what those features were in Moom, even though I considered myself a regular Moom user. But so now I hit this one shortcut, and it, when I'm connected to my two monitor setup, it gets uh, the web browser at the right size on my left screen and it gets BB edit in the right size on my right screen for when I want to write an article where I'm referencing a web thing. And I just, it just does it all magically and it puts the windows in exactly the right spot at the right dimensions. And I just love that. Yeah. It's, that's a real deep app. I mean, when you start getting there, like for instance, I, like you, I have like setups when I'm doing my morning review and OmniFocus, I've got one that has email and one portion of the screen and OmniFocus and you know, it's great. But um, yeah, and it's also good if you work on different monitor setups, like if you have a laptop and sometimes it's plugged into a screen and sometimes it's not, and you want to have different window sizes, uh, it's good for that. Um, and it, and like you said, it's keyboard shortcut. So you just fire off a keyboard shortcut and it just happens. It's, you know, when we talk about stuff as nerdy as we've already gotten today, it makes me think of how we wanted, you know, the, the, the innovation of the Mac at first was that it, it you know, made things so much easier. It was, it was this GUI where you could look and click and touch on the things you want. And then many of our favorite tools, something like, you know, launch bar or spotlight or the terminal, and then all these keyboard shortcuts were assigned to things are how little can I do using the interface? How much can I avoid it so that I can be even quicker? And I think it, I understand why it happens, but it's, it doesn't amuse me any less because of it. Yeah. <laughs> I have a friend who, um, back in the Quicksilver days, the, the highlight of Quicksilver, he figured out a way to disable the finder and he, he literally <laughs> took the extra time to do that. So the finder did not appear on his dock and um, he did everything through Quicksilver. And <laughs> I know part of me thought that was the coolest thing I'd ever saw. And part of me just couldn't <laughs> believe that he bothered. <laughs> That's commitment. Yeah. yeah. You gotta, you gotta respect that at a certain level. 
Yeah. Lex, you were talking about using Gmail in a dedicated browser as your as your primary mail application. And so I'm I'm curious, what made you decide to have you always been a Gmail user and what made you decide to go with that as opposed to mail.app or or one of these other email clients? So it was a, a variety of factors contributed. First, for some reason I grew increasingly sour on mail dot app where I had really liked it for a long time and used it regularly, but I as as it evolved, it evolved in ways that didn't feel right to me. It didn't feel like the way I wanted to manage my email. And I uh I wanted something that for me, one really minor but specific annoyance is with with many email clients, and mail is far from the only one that does this, is, you know, to, to even though it infuriates people like, I don't know, Merlin Mann and others who don't want you to use your inbox as your to-do list, I end up leaving messages unread if I haven't acted on them in my inbox. Um, at this exact count, I'm inbox 25 for my personal email and inbox 17 for my work email. But I... Um, I don't like if I delete a message uh, in my inbox, if it automatically goes to the next message and marks it as read again. Um, because, and that I find that happens in the iPad all the time. You've got that, the, your messages on the left and the actual message body on the right. And as soon as I, you know, marked, swipe, swipe to archive or delete one, it highlights the next one and marks it as read again. But for me, which messages are marked read and which aren't is very important. And I've discovered that Gmail on the web uh, since it only has, in its default view, it only shows a list of messages, and then it's a separate screen to see the message content, it doesn't have that problem. If I archive or delete a message, it simply goes, you know, the, the next message in my list is selected, but not yet opened, and thus not marked as read. That was thing one. Then thing two became, um, because I started trying some of these other third-party Gmail apps, uh, something like Sparrow, which I guess now is a maybe no longer supported. and Yeah. The the cha- some of those had the same issue where they would select the next message. But then the other thing was I grew to rely on Google Voice as my phone for work, and oh, yeah. I can use Google Voice through a Gmail window in a web browser. So I leave. I have this. I use Fluid. I have actually, and unbelievably, this is the the biggest weakness of my setup is that I need to have because I don't want to use Gmail's multiple inbox feature. I actually have two separate Fluid site specific browsers in my dock: one for my personal email and one for my work email. Um, but I can use those browser windows to make and receive phone calls all day for work. So I do all my calls literally just talking in front of my computer, which uh, you know handles the the audio for the phone call. And I can't do that in a third party app. I can only Is that, do that like with browser. a headset or do you have that rerouting to your home phone or? So it's sometimes if, I, if a call comes in, say, you know, Apple PR calls me back. So now you know that it's fictitious because that never happens. But, you yeah. know, suppose, <laughs> you know, if I'm getting a phone call coming in and I don't have anything plugged in, I'll just take it and, you know, it's coming out through the speakers my Mac is connected to and I'm using the built-in microphone. And I think to the folks on the other end, it generally sounds like I'm on a speakerphone, which I'm okay with. Uh, if I, well, if that I'm makes you sound important. That's right. If I'm initiating the phone call, I'll I'll use the same setup I use for podcasting, where I'll plug in headphones and and get my USB mic plugged in, um, and Gmail will use that instead. But so what I love about Gmail is, you know, one, I get that phone thing. Two, it doesn't do that marking messages as unread, which drives me crazy. And then three, I I like having access to its very fast and very powerful search right away. I find that you know. All other apps that try to access it can't do it quite as fast as Gmail on the web. 
Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot to like about Gmail. One one of my favorite things about it is the server side rules are just so awesome. Um, yes, and you know you can't do that. On a, in fact, we did a show about a month ago where we talked about using a, an extra Mac as a home server, and one of the big selling points was if you're running Mail.app that you you run it all day to to try and replicate some of those server side rules, you know, kind of old school at your home. And, you know, Gmail just does that right. I mean, in fact, that actually, that, that's a good lean. You did an article recently, I forgot, that uh, talking about Apple's um, misguided mail rules. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. We, I wrote with Dan Morin about um, iCloud mail. Yeah. And what, you know, a thing that constantly surprises me with all my Apple devices is that I, I'm a big Apple fan. You don't, I don't think you can take a job writing for Macworld if you, if you aren't a big Apple fan. You, you certainly find things to criticize, but I'm, 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 a, I'm a fan. because I'm, I do these things because I'm a big fan of Apple. But I don't use most of Apple's services. I use things from people like Google instead. Um, and I, I constantly think, hey, maybe it's time to switch to iCloud for email or for my calendar. But no, that story... No, I'm not going to do it. That story, you know, that story wrote about iCloud shows that, you know, and Apple acknowledges that they will filter some messages that never even make it to your iCloud spam folder. They just don't get to you at all. And it happens silently and invisibly with no option to turn it off. And I need my emails about (laughs) barely legal or whatever. Barely legal teams, yeah. Yeah. I need those emails. It's for book research. Right. (laughs) So so the story. Well, it's for the Snuggie book, right? Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) The, The sequel. (laughs) <laughs> um, but the uh, the story was so Lex and Dan were running emails and they were testing you know what words would automatically not get through and uh, if you put the word barely legal teen in not only just in like the subject line but anywhere in the email or well, even and it was it was even freakier it was like anywhere even if it was like in a zipped PDF right that's right a zipped PDF attachment it still flagged it. And then doesn't that get a little freaky? Like, why are they unzipping and reading my PDFs? Right. And the question is, I mean, barely legal teens is the phrase that people have discovered happens. And sure. realistically, it's a it's a reasonable phrase to block unless you're trying right. to send emails saying, hey, let's write a story about this barely legal teens issue. And even that email won't get through. But clearly, it is not uh, an incredibly impressive filtering system set up just for that one phrase. And we have no idea what the other phrases are. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Well, you know, and one of the, the knocks I've always had against Gmail is, you know, the fact they read everything. You know, when you've got a Gmail account, there's a reason why the ad um, the ad on the side of the the mail reflects something you're talking about in the mail because the, the robots are reading it and trying to serve you up ads. And that was always one of the selling points for me of using iCloud is that, you know, you're paying for a service. It's not getting read. And Whereas, I'll admit, I mean – it, I don't mind that Gmail is very explicitly reading my emails. I don't feel like a human's reading them. I, you know, I'm not one of these people who goes in and says, you know, turn off the ad tracking doohickey on my iPhone, and I don't install all the ad blockers I can find. I would much rather have relevant ads than irrelevant ads, <laughs> because sure. you know, if if the products are going to be more targeted to me, that to me is less annoying than just an ad for something that I never have any interest in seeing at all. Yeah. What I like, the, the, I mean, it's creepy, but it, it makes sense now. And this has been going on for years, so it's not a, a recent change. But now you'll get Gmail ads, not necessarily related to the current email you're looking at, but to other things in your inbox. And I like that. 
I like that it's reminding me about other things in my inbox that I haven't acted on yet. Like right now, I, I have an email open from uh, an app maker, but the ad that I see is about JFK airport parking for a trip I'm planning. <laughs> <laughs> Clever. Well, well talk. Oh, go ahead, David. No, go ahead. I was going to ask. A, I was going to ask you before we get too much off the Gmail topic and everything. Talk to me a little bit about how you're using Google Voice because um, I'm a big fan of Google Voice, and I've actually replaced my home phone with. I don't know if you've seen them. Um, one of these OB boxes, and I have plugged not. it into my Google Voice account. So I wonder if you're using Google Voice in in any cool and unique ways. It, well, it sounds like you're using it more in a cooler way than I am because uh, I don't have an OB box, but oh, I, they're like 25 bucks. And now you've got free home phone service for as long as Google voices does its thing. But anyway, well, now I have to look into that. But so I, uh, I basically use it mostly for my work phone and it's, it's tricky because I want to set it up to have Google voice call all my numbers when somebody right. calls me. Right. But I, you know, since I'm giving out that number more and more, I don't want my home phone to ring for work calls. I don't want it to be annoying to my wife. So I only have it ring my cell phone simultaneously. Um, and then it rings in the Gmail web browser window. Um, right. So if you're sitting at your computer, you'll see it. And then your cell phone will ring. That's right. And, and I guess just a quick recap for people who aren't familiar. Google Voice is, I guess we'll call it like a virtual number that when dialed, you can then set up to do specific things and such as simultaneously ring other numbers like Lex has it set up um, or you can do some very specific call filtering and call blocking and things like that. So like you could have put one Katie that says if, if you get a if call David from, Sparks calls. Yeah, exactly. Straight to message. Straight to, or, or just block, give him give him the busy signal, give him the <laughs> do not right. disturb. Yeah. Or you, or you could have like, a, as I recall, you could even have a specific message for me. That's, That's right. true. Yeah, like if, I'm, if I've got to give David a very specific message and I'm afraid I'll miss his call. What I also appreciate is that I can screen incoming voicemails, um, an ability that we have lost mostly in the answering machine era. But so if I'm getting a call from an unknown number to my work number, I can hit screen first. And then if it's a PR pitch, I just let it stay on voicemail. And if it's, you know, some person I actually want to talk to, you can just jump in and say, oh, I'm here. I mean, then they immediately know that you were screening <laughs> their call, but <laughs> I'm OK doing, with yeah. that. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's but, it's pretty powerful. It, I think that's right in the same vein as Gmail uh, mail filtering. It's call filtering. That's right. And, you know, so it, it works with text messages and you also get the um, the the perk slash amusement of Google attempting to transcribe your voicemails for you uh, poorly. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, that, I would say that's like a running gag for a lot of people. Yes. <laughs> and I I also paid the 10 bucks to get a custom phone number. So the last four digits of my Google voice number spell out Lexi, L-E-X-Y. <laughs> so all I have to do is try every other possible permutation and you might call me. There we go. But that's, I mean, that's, that's essentially it for how I'm using it. I have it, you know, ring to my phone. Usually I'm too lazy on my iPhone to, um, to launch the Google voice app before I make a phone call. So most of my outgoing calls just come from my cell phone number. If I'm using my phone, if I'm using the Mac, then it comes from the Google voice number. But, uh, that's, I, I basically just use it so that I don't have to tie up my home phone or my cell phone for work calls. Yeah. I've used the, um, the texting feature some, uh, you know, when I've, I, I use it basically as my number that I give out to, to most people. In fact, it's, it's now the default number that I'll give out to people instead of giving them my cell phone number. Cause I'm trying to transition people over to it. Yes. Um, or when I, someone who I'm not a huge texter, 
and um, or iMessenger or whatever. And I really want those messages to be from people that I really know and people I think text and I, you know, I don't know. So I, I will sometimes give them out that message and I'll, I'll get messages from people on that number. And I, I mean, I'm, I too am trying to switch friends who, and it's hard because once people program in your number, nobody's really inclined to change it, but I'm trying to switch people over to using the Google voice number because it's, it's much more convenient if my number ever has to change. It's the same reason that you tell people, you know, you shouldn't use my name at my internet com. You don't want to use your ISP for your email address. You want to use a more, either your own custom domain or a Gmail address, something that can I guess Gmail would probably not be a great example. You want to use a custom domain or some address that you can point to a new place if you need a new destination for email account. And I like the same freedom with my phone number. I did that with my cell phone like five years ago. And I guess, I think I did it with the first iPhone. I just, I just left my old number with my old service provider. (laughs) And I just said, you know, this is a good chance for me. So people have to like earn their way back on the list again. And, uh, it was really like kind of refreshing, (laughs) but, uh, that's probably not the smartest thing to do if you <laughs> got a business where you need to like keep in touch with people. <laughs> the um so so you've got the the Gmail and you've got the Google Voice account for managing communications. You talked very quickly about Fluid. I thought we should tell people about that app. It's uh I th- I forgot about Fluid. I mean, I it's been around for a long time. It's uh, funny because I use Fluid every day and I think it is probably one of the of all the goofy things on my setup, I think it's probably the least known or least appreciated app. It's uh, they're at fluidapp.com, but uh, it lets you create site-specific Safari-based browsers for you know that are dedicated to individual websites. So I only use two these days, and it's they're both for Gmail accounts. Uh, I think the app is free, and then you can unlock extra features, some of which I rely on for five dollars. But um, so I've got one site-specific browser for my personal Gmail account and a second one for the work. And you just, you know, you launch the Fluid app, you type in what the URL is and what the name of the app should be and what icon it should use. And then you never use the actual, you never use the app called Fluid ever again. You just use your, your apps that you've created. But I think once you've paid that $5, you can have each one use its own set of cookies. That is, it doesn't share cookies with a Safari browser or with other Fluid apps. So... Rather than ever having to deal with that horrible Google interface for switching between accounts, each one's locked into its own little world of cookies and settings, and it's great. And so I, it's not just that I have a extra web browsers there. Those are web browsers that are specific to the Gmail domain. Uh, Fluid is smart enough that it can look and badge the icon with the number of unread messages in my inbox. And I have it set so that if I type any other URL into that window or if I click on a URL, it knows... I'm not using my my Gmail dedicated app as a web browser. It's just for Gmail. So it, anytime I click on a link, it sends it over to Safari as a for, since that's where I do my web browsing. So it really feels uh, you can very quickly forget that you're using a site specific browser. It just feels like it's my email app because it lives as its own icon in the dock and sends everything else over to Safari. Yeah, and you're not an edge case there. I mean, Fluid really was generated for people running the Google apps, web services, and they wanted to have apps for them. I I used to use it for Google reader before I got a, um, you know, before reader found its way to the Mac, frankly, but the, uh, so you can essentially turn web pages into apps and, and they're treated for all intents and purposes as apps from then on. And it seems like it was a much bigger deal back when, before the Mac App Store, frankly, because the Mac App Store, there's a whole lot of apps that are basically windows to the web anyway. Yes. And a lot of us have jumped on certain of those apps, like Reader is an example for me on the Mac. 
but I, you know, that's why I hadn't really thought about it much. But I guess if you're going to run uh, Gmail, that's probably one of the better ways to do it. Have you ever tried some of the Gmail apps out there? I know that there are several apps that are, you know, that sell themselves as a as a portal to Gmail. Yeah, there's there's one whose name I can't think of, but I know it has mail in it. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm thinking about it too, and I can't remember. Mailinator is that what it's called? Um, that sounds like it might be right. That's not but, the one I'm thinking of, but yeah. No, Mailinator's not it. Yeah. Um, but so there's but there was one app that I used for a while that that did a decent job, but. And so at first, when I needed to keep two separate, when I had these multiple email accounts, I said, well, I'll do one fluid browser and I'll do the other one in one of these sort of interchangeable third-party apps for, for Gmail, email, Mailplane. That's what it was, yes, Mailplane. that's it. And the, for me, the, the eventual downside to Mailplane, which is actually a, a fine app and essentially is, like you just said, it's, you know, it's an app wrapper for a window to the web, um, was that it didn't do the, it didn't support Flash. So it didn't support the... Uh, the phone piece. And since I, I, the only thing, the, the main thing I use flash for on my Mac is, is the Google voice in the web browser or in, in Gmail. Yeah. And not having that mail plane made mail plane less useful to me. Yeah. Hey, I think this is a good time to take a quick break and talk about our exclusive sponsor today, which is smile and smile has something really awesome. And I'm really pleased to be announcing with the show, uh, PDF pin for the Mac version six is on its way. It's going to show up this week. So, uh, Katie and I have both been using. It. I guess you have, you have been as well, Lex. And That's right. It's really amazing. You, you know, you get used to using an application, and you think, well, they've kind of done it. You know, there's not a whole lot to add, and it turns out there is. <laughs> uh, this new version of PDF Pen for the Mac uh, has several great features, and since this is an exclusive show, we're going to talk about a couple of them in various spots during the show. But I can tell you, my favorite one is the export to Word feature. Katie, have you tried that out yet? I have tried it. It's awesome. In fact, we got a special sneak preview of, of this at, at, at Macworld, and then I've been using it ever since. Well, I, I, I've got a, a real story uh, on the day job already. So somebody sends me this contract, and he's one of those guys, you know, in the, in the law profession. There are certain guys that will send you a Word doc and think that you will track changes and send it back like a gentleman. Or uh, they send you this nutty PDF file that's locked down, and there's nothing you can do to it, even though – you're supposed to be able to make changes as the other guy's lawyer. And so I, I just opened up my beta copy of PDF pin for the Mac version six and I load up the PDF and there's a button that says export to Microsoft word. And I press the button and about 30 seconds later, I've got the contract open in Microsoft word and it's imported everything. It's imported the graphics and it's, it's a legitimate word file. So I just, I, mean, I didn't need to change anything. It looked great. So I just started tracking changes in the word file. And I sent it off to the guy with all my changes and he called me back and he said, Hey, um, how'd you do that? <laughs> so, so, Magic. One of, yeah. So one of the great features with this new version is, is you can do that. You can take any PDF and it's not just simple contracts. This could be a form with boxes and graphics and they send it up to the web and they've got a, a web service that does this for you. And it, it spits it back to you as a word file and it looks great. It even matches the typography. It, it really looks like a, a word version of your document. If you like pages and you can just open the word file in pages and go from there. Um, it's a super new feature and it's like nothing I've ever seen before. I think this is going to be a huge selling point for me. Yeah. And they're doing something special with PDF pen 
Pro and PDF Pen regular version 6. And um, so you want to make sure that, that you're on top of this. There is going to be a special 48-hour upgrade window. Um, and it's happening this weekend. So here's what's going on. And you want to make sure that you don't miss it. So PDF Pens version 6 and PDF Pen Pro version 6 is going to be released on March 19th at 9 a.m. Pacific, subject to Mac App Store approval, of course, because we're pre-recording this. But what they're going to do is they want to accommodate all of their Mac App Store customers. So there's going to be special upgrade pricing for 48 hours, for the first 48 hours. So you want to make sure, pause this recording. We won't mind to go back and get it. And if you want to grab PDF Pen from or PDF Pen Pro 6 from the App Store, which you might want to do because that's going to give you the best iCloud integration, or that's the only way really to get iCloud integration with it because of the Mac App Store sandboxing rules, you're going to be able to get uh, PDF Pen for $30 and PDF Pen Pro for $40 during that first 48 hours only. Now, after the first 48 hours, Smile standard upgrade pricing will continue to, to apply um, but that's going to be only available through the smilesoftware.com website. Yeah. And if you want to use the iCloud syncing, which is one of my favorite features of PDF Pin, that it syncs everything to my iPad and my phone, you're going to have to buy it through the App Store. So uh, you're going to want to get this version as soon as it comes out and uh, and do that. Now, now Dropbox Sync will always work on the version, whether you buy it on the version from the App Store or from Smile Direct. But if you want the iCloud sync, that's part of the rules. You got to buy it through the App Store. So um, go check it out. And uh, if you're listening right now, mark your calendar if you're ahead of time, or, or just be aware. We'll definitely be posting on it on the website and maxbucky.com. Yeah, actually, that's, that's going to be the weekend the show releases. So go go get it right now. Yeah, and also I did a little video for them. They said keep it to five. I ended up at eight. Can't help myself. But well, uh, they they told you five because they knew. Yeah, exactly. But the uh, but it shows off that that saved a word feature. It's got a whole new user interface, which is I think much cleaner and better. And um, and there's other features too. We'll talk about those later in the show. But uh, I'm very excited about this. Um, I know that makes me kind of a weirdo because I'm excited about a PDF app. But if you use them as much as I do, there's a lot to love about this new version of PDF Pen. And correct me if I'm wrong, I believe that if you decide you don't need the Mac App Store version, if you're willing to sacrifice David's beloved iCloud syncing, they're even going to do cross-grade pricing so that if you miss the weekend window for some reason, you can upgrade from the Mac App Store version to their direct version, uh, and it'll magically detect that you have it, and you can get the upgrade pricing if you miss the Mac App Store discount window. Absolutely. My favorite part of that was the way Lex said, my beloved iCloud syncing. I love (laughs) the way you said that. Thank you. (laughs) I think I'm the only one who gets excited about iCloud. <laughs> I, I am excited for the time when I can be excited about iCloud. It's kind of meta. Oh, there you go. <laughs> well, you know, I, I think the, the trick is I, I accept its limitations. I don't think it's a um, – it's, it's not at the level of a Dropbox-type syncing where I can throw, you know, 10,000 files in there and not worry about it. And, and you know, I think that's a frustration that everybody has. It should be, right? But right. for the stuff I do, like a PDF pen, you know, where I've got, you know, 10 or 20 PDFs that are I'm currently working on, um, I really like that ability to go somewhere else, open an iPad, and just pick up where I left off without any friction. And I use it for, for Byword. I use it for iCloud. Those are probably the two of the biggest apps I use iCloud syncing for. And I've never had a problem with any of them. So I, I haven't been bitten, and it's been working great for me. I just, uh, to me, it's it's unbelievable to me that Apple went with the decision that said, 
we are not going to we're going to make people say well i'm going to use icloud for some things and dropbox for others i'm just i remain yeah. surprised that they didn't decide to say let's come up with a solution that will cover both well apple well, doesn't want you to use dropbox period paragraph True. But I think that the problem is they're finding that many, many, many of their users, I would even venture that most people who know when they're using iCloud also use Dropbox. I would I, I would guess you're right. And, you know, I'm wondering, will we even see, you know, is there going to be Apple tends to keep they keep this is what they do is is they give us a piece of something like iCloud or, or even back up, you know, dot Mac or mobile me. And it's just the start of a good idea and it's the start of something. And then they keep building and building and building and building and building. And then by the time we get to version three or four or whatever, it's almost kind of like, I hate to say it, the old Microsoft strategy. Yeah, no, it sounded exactly <laughs> what I was about to say. It sounds just like something <laughs> that we used yeah. to hear. But once we, once we get a few versions in, then we're, then maybe uh, we power users are like, yeah, now it's what I want. And, you know, maybe we'll get there with our movies in the cloud or something like that one day. But, you know, we got there with iTunes match sort of kind of maybe a little bit somewhat <laughs> but do you think we'll see like a an iTunes or an iCloud app that's going to be more dropboxy for for some of the power users who want that kind of thing it is my big hope for iOS 7 and whatever the sequel to Mountain Lion is i feel like if apple's going to do it it's got to be this year it's 2013 is the year of apple announcing yes we are going to we are going to find a way to make you forget about dropbox and it obviously it has to be more reliable than iDisk. it has to be as reliable as dropbox it has to be as seamless as dropbox i don't care necessarily i i imagine that it would have some kind of windows version since ios is multi-platform or appeals to people who use both platforms. But I, I don't care if it, if I can't use it to share as easily with Windows using friends of mine. But I feel like that's the way they're going to do it. Is they've got to have a an iCloud app on your iOS device that you can open and see all the files from all of your apps. And if you choose to open a PDF that you created in PDF Pen and you want to use it in preview on your Mac, you should be able to do that without any extra work. It should just be available to you. And Apple could find a way to, I think, to keep the simplicity it loves from its current, you know, this document is stuck in this app uh, foundation of iCloud. It could find a way to keep that as the default mechanism, but still give power users a way to say, hey, I want to import. I want to I want to cross import this file that I created in one app and use it in another. And I I feel like there's a way that they can make it happen. No, I, I totally agree. And I think that's a really good way to do it is just to have an app. And you could have an app on the Mac as well. Exactly. Because they don't want you in the Finder. That's clear. That's the reason why they're not using the Dropbox model. And uh, that's not an entirely irrational decision. I know a lot of people uh, that don't listen to shows like the Mac Power Users that when you talk to them about the Finder, you know, the little happy face icon, uh, <laughs> that they get, you know, they get, they throw fits because they don't know what's going to happen. I, uh, I was just talking to a friend about the Windows Explorer because I was trying to help her out with the PC problem which I wasn't very good at, by the way. But either way, she, she said, you know, last time I opened this, I wrecked my computer. <laughs> you know? Wow. You know, she, because, you know, you move stuff around in there and things break. So I understand why they're trying to avoid the Finder. But they, this artificial limitation of, of you know, single lap really hurts it. And, and you know, and, and to the credit, some developers – have have really attached that and have aggressively developed for all platforms to take advantage of it, but it, it really I don't know that that's the long term solution. I think I, I'm with you, Lex. I think there should be a separate iCloud app. It's and I I honestly I'm 
perhaps naive, perhaps it's just sometimes when you want something so much, you, you wish it and you lose sight of reality. But I think it's going to happen. I think this is the year that Apple's going to say, okay, quit your whining about iCloud power users. <laughs> here's your devoted iCloud app and here's a way that you can do maybe not everything that Dropbox can do, but enough that you won't be constantly thinking there is no reason to use iCloud if I have Dropbox as an alternative. Yeah. And we've had guests on the show who who go out of their way to avoid iCloud and talk about uh, these terrible things that have happened to them trying to use iCloud. And and frankly, we've talked to developers who say, actually, we've heard both sides of that story. We've heard some developers say that it's easier to use iCloud to implement it. And some say it's easier to include Dropbox. But I know Dropbox is not sitting on its laurels either. And and to, uh, in a lot of ways, they stole, you know, Apple's lunch with this whole thing because they were the first ones to get out there and have the APIs for the iOS because Apple didn't deliver a cloud-based file system with the device. That's right, and they and I believe just oh, a couple weeks back now, Dropbox has their new Sync API that's aiming to make it even easier for developers to plug in on iOS and even Android to avoid using iCloud for more kinds of data syncing to make it even easier to, to get your app using Dropbox for syncing. So it's, I mean, clearly Apple's not going to hurt. Even if if developers avoid iCloud or, or use it only begrudgingly, the company will be fine. But I think Apple would like to own this space more than it does. Yeah. And, you know, they're not used to not being the winner. That's right. Well, I want to talk a little bit about, while we're kind of on the theme of sharing documents, um, I know that you you work from home, you work for Macworld, you're on the East Coast with me, and then it seems like the whole rest of the tech world is over there on the West Coast with David. Yeah. How does that work logistically? How how do you get your assignments and share your documents and, you know, really telecommute cross-country? How, how, does, how does that work? So I, I'll give you a much broader answer than you need, or I'll give you more context than you need, which is that I started working from home in 2006, when I still lived in LA working for various internet companies. And I never suspected that, you know, in 2013, I would still be working from home, even if it's a different home. But, uh, you know, I, the, the first thing for me was making sure that I had boundaries, work-life boundaries. So starting very early on in 2006, when I first was working from home, I always said, I'm going to start working at this time and I'm going to stop working at this time. I'm going to do my work each day. I'm not going to do all the things one could do working at home. I'm not going to be in front of the television or goofing off for three hours in the middle of the day. I wanted to actually do my work and be available because I've worked with people who work from home. And I don't know, maybe not everyone is as harsh and quick to judge as I am, but if I and instant messaging you and you work from home and you don't answer within a minute, I assume that you were off goofing around because you're in your house. Uh, and I wanted to not be that guy. I want to answer you right away. So that was the first thing is I, 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 you know, I'm at my desk during my working hours, but Macworld loves having East coasters. It's I'm on the East coast along with our, uh, senior editor, Dan Morin and, uh, associate editor Serenity Caldwell. They're in Boston. And Macworld loves having East Coasters because it means that nobody has to wake up at 5 a.m. Pacific time to start covering early morning news and press releases and things like that. Since we're up, we can, you know, Apple tends to release press releases when it has something that's not worth uh, a formal event, but is some kind of announcement. They'll do those at 8 or 8.30 in the morning and having us available and ready to write those, Macworld likes. So for collaboration, I uh, most of the stuff we do, uh, for assignments, I have broad areas I'm supposed to cover. Dan Morin and I are supposed to cover news. Um, I review things like health accessories and 
airplay speakers and things like that. So for uh, generally speaking, there's always a ton of hardware in my office. Right now I'm, I'm sitting at a desk that's covered in Bluetooth and airplay speakers, um, all waiting to be reviewed along with some iPhone accessories. Um, anytime I have nothing else to do, I know I can just grab a box, open it and start testing out a new product. But for everything else, I have a tremendous amount of freedom with Macworld, which is great and makes Macworld an incredible place to work for because they'll, you know, it's, I do things like tutorials and op-eds and, uh, you know, news stories. But when, in terms of what is due when, I have very few specific rules. They know that I'm going to keep writing stuff and that I, you know, I'll have editors come to me and say, hey, would you like to write about Siri productivity tips? Um, and I thought, hey, that's a good story. And it was so good that, Dave Sparks linked to it after it was live. Um, but you know, most of the time it's just, I, uh, you know, when, when, when I have something I want to write about, I write about it and that, and that's it. I would say the, the biggest thing I use for real time collaboration, um, you know, we use hip chat for, as a chat room for everybody to, to be in from the Macworld team. And then Dan Morin and I often, well, often might be stretching it, but we we intermittently co-write articles. And when we do that, we actually use a Google Doc because we found nothing that's better. So we'll literally write a document at the same time. And I think someday we're going to have to screencast that experience because Dan and I will get on a Google Hangout so we can see each other. We open the shared Google document in the Hangout, and then we're talking to each other as we're typing. And often he'll be doing the first paragraph while I'm doing the second paragraph. And we're not even, we know what the beats are going to be, and we don't even look at what the other person's written until we're all finished. And we just go every other paragraph paragraph down the line uh, until it's done. And then we go back and rewrite what the other person wrote. Um, and that's, I mean, that's the the main stuff we use, you know, other articles I write, I send emails or instant messages when they're ready for somebody else to edit. And, and that's it. The, um, you know, the Google documents as a collaboration tool is I think universally used by any guest that we've had that talks about this stuff. David Wayne uh, wrote a movie with it, with his co-writer when they were on different coasts. Um, I wrote a book with Brett Terpstra with Google Docs. It seems like that's the one place everybody agrees to go because it's just rock solid. And, and the text isn't very pretty, but it's a, it's a good way to collect it. Um, Katie, have you ever used Google Docs collaboratively? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I just don't think there's even really another solution out there. I mean, Apple is not capable of doing what Google Docs can do. There used to be something that I used more, and I think it was uh, Type It type it with me, type it. I think it was type it with me.com or, or type with me.com. And it was the people, the, the people, the, there, there was a different name for it before. And it was whatever company that Google acquired when they built wave, but there was some company, I think it was an E. I just can't think of the name, but some company that did not just what Google docs does, but actually showed you word by word who wrote what everybody had their own background, highlight color. And Daniel, I used to do that, uh, yeah. but then they it's, shut down. It's like um, Pirate Pad, though, is what yes. came out of that. Yes, Pirate Pad yeah. is. They basically they open sourced the the thing that did it, and Pirate Pad is now one of the the people that uses it. Right, yeah. Etherpad, I think, is what you're. That's right. You're right. Etherpad, Etherpad. was the original. But then yeah. Pirate Pad, I thought, shut down too, didn't it? Uh, no, I, I think just, it's still around. We actually I just use loaded Pirate a version Pad of it right now. To do the um, we do meeting notes for my for my Mac user group in Pirate Pad. I'll have to bookmark this now because this is what Dan and I used to use. We used to use various Etherpad clones after Google shut down the original. Yeah. Interesting. So, so you will, you, if you've got an assignment that you're working on solo just by yourself, 
you'll end up writing it in BB edit. And then do you upload it to some service and, and someone else edit it, copy edit it or, or we just, you know, so Macworld has a custom built CMS and uh, I'll take a finished story. I use one of Jason Snell's scripts and BB edit to prepare for the CMS. I paste it in and then it's, it's available to whichever editor needs it. And I can send an email or an IM and tell them, here's the link and they go do their thing. When we were at Macworld, you were talking to us about your, uh, your, your, uh, not just standing desk, your, um, treadmill, your desk. treadmill desk. Um, we had Clayton Morris on right after I talked to you and you know, he's a big treadmill desk user too. I did not know that Clayton uses a treadmill desk. I mean, he's like serious. I mean, I, Clayton I was... follows me on Twitter and he, he tweets about my articles from time to time. And I really appreciate it. And I had no idea that he uses a treadmill desk. Yeah. Well, you guys inspired me cause you were telling me about it. And, uh, and then Clayton was talking about it. So I, I've got one now we've got a, we got on Craigslist. We've got ourselves, you know, a not very fancy treadmill, but it goes enough to walk on, but I put it downstairs by the TV. So I make my kids, Run, walk on the treadmill while TV's playing. It's kind of like the rule. And, That's nice. And I, I've been using it uh, to work with the iPad. Like I'll walk and hold the iPad, and I can do some basic work. But, but I still am having trouble figuring out how I'm going to do this this treadmill desk. And actually, you know, like you guys have got a desk on your treadmill, and you're just typing as you're walking, right? So I started out. Yeah, I have a, a standing height desk, and I have a, a treadmill that's specifically built to be used with a treadmill desk. Um, and meaning it doesn't have arm rails or any handlebars or anything. And it's got a, a wire that connects the control panel. So the control panel sits on your desk and the, the desk is, you know, at the right height to, to stand at. And if you need to hold on anything, you, you hold on to or lean against the desk surface. But I started out really slow, you know, one mile an hour. And eventually I was at 1.1, 1.2 and felt that was fast. And then I, at one point I, I, you know, I inched it up to 1.3 or 1.4 and felt like I was going crazy. And really what happened is I was using a, a Fitbit in my pocket while I walked yeah. and I found more and more treadmill desk friends who were also using Fitbits and some of them were just blowing me away with their numbers. And somebody said, you know, yeah, I'm doing two miles an hour. I'm doing two and a half miles an hour. I'm like, that's impossible. You can't, you can't use a computer two and a half miles an hour. And so one day, instead of incrementing up in a 10th of a mile, I said, I'm going from 1.5 to 2.5 and see what happens. Yeah. And it's been fine. I mean, there was a period of adjustment where you have to get your fine motor skills back in terms of your gross motor skills and make sure your body can handle it all. But after a couple of days, you know, I can type when I'm seated, I can type very fast when I'm on the treadmill at two and a half miles an hour. I can still type very fast, but slightly less fast. I go from about 125 words per minute to about 110 words per minute. Um, and it's it's great. I walk all day when I work. It's always weird for me when I do podcasts because I sit down and I'm, I'm rarely in my office sitting down at this point. But uh, I love the treadmill desk because I, I hate exercise. I have no interest in taking time out of my day to do exercise. And this way I can feel like I'm moving my body and avoiding an overly sedentary lifestyle. Uh, and I don't even notice it because I'm working while it happens. So we had a lot of people ask about how you built your treadmill desk. And because you, you can you can buy them pre-made and they're they get quite expensive. But um or, or there's kind of this whole, you know, roll your own treadmill desk where you, you get a slightly used treadmill and maybe you take the arms off and maybe you put some two by fours on the top and create a desktop. Which route did you go? So I had a, um, a standing height desk that I had sort of assembled myself. So I had a seated desk. And then on top of that, I had put a bunch of Ikea shelf toppers. And on top of the shelf toppers were 
cardboard boxes and on top of that were you know was my computer so since i had a, a setup that i felt could get me at standing height i did buy a, a true desk treadmill from treaddesk.com um and i've i've now tried two treadmill desks in my day i've had the the treaddesk.com treadmill and i also have one that they still have not picked up that i reviewed for macworld and tech hive called the lifespan treadmill and that one has bluetooth integration which is terrible um wait, but wait, wait. Uh, bluetooth in your desk it, bluetooth in the treadmill so okay. the treadmill can report back to an yeah. app that you run an adobe air app that you run on your mac that logs your total miles walked and things like that but you know, I so since I I had a standing height desk, even though it was an ad hoc, custom, you know, homemade standing desk, I I went out and bought the full desk treadmill because I I didn't I didn't consider myself technically savvy enough to take the arms off a treadmill. Um, but uh, eventually, when I started working for MacWorld, they have a an ergonomics. HR person who saw a photo of my setup and said, no, the cardboard boxes are not going to cut it. This man needs an actual standing high desk. So I have one from uh, beyond the office door.com and it's, you know, a fine tall desk. And so that my current setup is now a, a true standing height desk and I'm a tall guy and the treadmill adds several inches to my height. So it has to be a very high standing desk. My wife can literally stand under it. Um, and uh, so it's it's a true standing desk and, and a treadmill built for that purpose. And I, I love them both. Now, this now when I look at treaddesk.com and I'm looking at the picture of this, you know, lady standing at her desk walking on her treadmill, I, and I get there probably all kinds. This thing literally looks flat on the floor. I mean, most treadmills I'm used to at the gym, you step up, you know, maybe four to six inches on. And the, the picture you're describing very flat. The picture you're describing is tremendously uh, misleading. It okay. absolutely looks like it's flat and it is not flat. I don't know if they do that on purpose or if it's an honest mistake or what. I like my treadmill. I hate that photo. People always think it's going to be flat. I thought it was going to be flat. The other big problem with that photo is that the woman is at a horrible angle. Her laptop is, it, she's looking down at her, her monitor screen and it's got to be up high at, at straight ahead eye level. Uh, she's going to develop a crick in her neck if she does more than pose for this picture. If you click on the uh, the products tab on trenddesk.com, you'll see okay. other photos that better reflect how high up off the ground it is. It's only a couple of inches, but it is not flat on the ground the way that one photo makes it look. Yeah, so probably not as high as your typical gym treadmill, but right. definitely a height. Yeah, it's interesting because I am... Um... I was thinking there's no way on earth I could pull this off in my office, you know, because there's like people walking around. And, you know, it just I don't think it would ever work. But actually looking at the tread desk, it's not as intrusive as a, as a standard treadmill. That's right. It's and it's actually it's fairly short, I guess is the word. It's it's not that long of a treadmill, yeah. um, which makes good sense since it doesn't need to be. And, you know, I, I always used to say that it's very quiet. And it's true that it's it's whisper quiet at one one and a half miles an hour. At two and a half miles an hour, it's not loud. It's it's like a a moderate white noise machine. I tune out the noise pretty quickly, but if I I used to be able to do phone calls without stopping the treadmill. But if I'm at two and a half miles an hour, I do have to stop, or people can hear it and go a little crazy. Well, I'm sure our listeners are tired of me yammering about this because we talked to you about it. You know, we talked to Clayton about it. But I I'm fascinated by the idea. I'm a big fan. Yeah. Just get one. Uh, well, no, we, I, we, well, Katie, while you were offline, we, um, I, I was telling, uh, I was telling Lex that we, we got after the Clayton show, I got one just off Craigslist, just like a local one. You know, treadmills you can get cheap because everybody buys them, and then 
They don't use them and they're big and they want to get rid of them. But so we put one downstairs and we have it. It's kind of like a rule. It's like the treadmill to keep the TV running. Somebody's got to be walking on it if the TV's on. And it's kind of fun for all of us to take turns. And I've been walking on it using my iPad, which is just fine. But I, I'm not sure I could get into typing. And, and Lex is telling me he's typing at two and a half miles an hour. I don't think I could do it. I'm just not that coordinated. I think he could. And I think that's the common fear. And really, these, you know, the treadmill desk industry needs an Apple store where people can go in and try this. Because if you start slow at one mile an hour, one mile an hour is barely moving. <laughs> Yeah, um, I've gotten much more comfortable with one mile an hour, like working. It's, right. It's it's standing with style. And <laughs> I think that it's – you can pull it off. You know, yeah. it's – yes, you'll feel an impact in your typing for the first couple of days. But uh, after that, it's really – it's it's nothing. It, it really makes almost no impact. And I would say now I think I'm a better writer walking than I am standing still because it, it helps – I don't know. It helps me focus. It, I can't say it helps me avoid getting distracted because I'll still switch to – Twitter or whatever else while I'm working uh, on the treadmill, but it's just it getting that extra blood flow going uh, seems to to help me focus on the writing better. I don't know. Well, and okay, I've motivated Lex, successful writers to do it. By the way, Susan Orlean does it now, and Rebecca Sklute, uh does it now. So they're oh, and AJ Jacobs. I didn't motivate AJ Jacobs; he did it on his own. But I convinced Susan to do it. I, I can explain this picture if you go into the more detailed photos. It, yes. it now says that this treadmill is recessed into the floor. Interesting. That's not yeah, very because, smart. Because now, well, no, because now they've got a picture of this lady's chair rolling on top of it. Right. And so, so this is the, the, with the treadmill desk recessed into the floor. Yeah, but it's misleading. So you're going to cut a hole in your floor. I'm not sure about that. <laughs> That's, oh, so yeah, I can. So what looks like it's part of the treadmill base is actually the hole in the floor where they've put it in. Interesting. Right. Right, so that you can roll your chair on top of it. That's anyway. crazy. Glenn Fleischman, for his uh, tech purpose, he um, he has the non-recessed version of this tread desk, and he just puts his chair right on top of it and is very careful and so the chair doesn't slide off. Or that you don't start it while your chair is sitting on it. <laughs> right, which would kind of be fun if your chair has wheels, but yeah. I, I think I'd pay extra for that. <laughs> I'd pay extra to watch Glenn Fleischman do it. <laughs> well, it's... um. I think it's an interesting idea. I mean, I was when you're talking about it's easier to work while you're walking. I, and a lot of times when I get stuck, I will take a walk and I use a little recorder and drag and dictate because it transcribes. Right. And, and I'll record, I'll, I'll dictate while I'm walking. And it does help kind of, you know, break me loose. I think for me, it's just getting stuck at a desk all day. I need to get away once in a while. And for me, you know, especially working from home for all these years, I've kind of gotten very good at being at home and not leaving the house. I can go days without leaving the house sometimes, which is probably a problem. But I don't feel like I need to walk around. I just need to walk even though I'm never getting anywhere. And what it's funny. We've talked about collaboration. And if I'm working with somebody like Dan Moran and we're writing something together – it can be kind of annoying on a video conference to see the other person on a treadmill, I have discovered, because they just see my head sort of bobbing up and down over and over again. Yeah. So I usually stop the treadmill if I'm doing that, and I start to get antsy after a while. <laughs> you know, there are times when I'll say, can I tread for a few minutes? Would that be okay? And he's usually, Dan Ward, a very nice guy, usually very accommodating, and so I'll, I'll start it up again. But it's uh, once you get used to it, you, you barely notice while you're doing it, and you miss it when you're not doing it. And and also, I would guess you'd get winded if you're on the phone talking and and moving at any clip, right? I you know, 
I would say no. I would say for the first couple of days at a new speed, I would feel exhausted at the end of the day. But it's you're still even at two and a half miles an hour. It's not very aerobic. Yeah. So I, I don't think it's taking my breath away on a phone call. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, but I mean, really, once I got to two and a half miles an hour for the first couple of weeks, I would say by the end of the day, I would sit down on the couch with my wife to watch television or something. And at 845, I'd say, OK, I'm ready to go upstairs now. <laughs> but uh, I have gotten over that. It's just, you know, your body adjusts. So what are you it doing now, movement. like 30 miles an hour? What are you doing? No, I, I, 2.5 just might be the max. I don't think I could handle the treadmill getting louder. And I think that every once in a while, if I... <laughs> This is terrible, but if, if I'm looking at the Fitbit.com rankings and the people who crush me, who crush me every day because they just they walk nonstop and I'll take a break for lunch and I work normal hours. But when I see that I'm close to passing somebody on the list or close to being passed, I might say, hey, I'm going to take the treadmill up to 2.6 or 2.7 and it never lasts for more than a couple of minutes. I can't, once I'm going past the 2.5 window, I can't type. It's like the wall. You hit the wall there. Yeah, and so- I'm fine with that. How many steps do you do in a day, Alex? Because I'm like, I'm happy if I hit 10,000. I'm guessing you're like lapping me. So, yeah, I would say that most days I'm hitting, um, I'm looking at my average on Fitbit.com right now. Uh, my average is somewhere between 20 and 30,000, usually around 27,000 steps a day. It's usually about 10 miles a day, sometimes up to 14, depending nice. on how much I stop. Nice. Mm-hmm. I'm still not sure I could pull it off in my office. But I, I like the idea. And looking at this tread desk, I can see why. It's not cheap, though. It's a, what is it, a thousand bucks? It looks like. Yeah, it's about a thousand bucks or yeah. so. But yeah. hey, David, maybe if you get one, maybe that's how you'll get to work from home. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, just make them so miserable. They're like, oh, maybe that's right. go home. <laughs> hey, we should, so, do, we should talk yeah, some we more. We should take a break here and, and, and talk about Smile a little bit more in PDF Pen Pro 6. And, you know, David, I was so excited because a couple of uh, weeks ago, well, maybe not quite, I got an email from Greg at Smile, and they have added to the latest beta of PDF Pen 6, and it will be in the final version, the the feature that I have been bugging him about for years and years and years. And I think it's called, if you look in the documentation, the Katie Floyd feature. That might come out before it, mm. it hits final production, but I hope not. And it is the ability to... um automatically redact information via Apple script. And so PDF pen has always had this great feature where you can find and redact data, which is wonderful where if you're going through documents and maybe, maybe you're going through your bank account and you want to send it, but you always want to redact the last couple of digits of your bank account, or you've got tax information and you always want to redact your social security number. And that's great and it's wonderful, but you would always have to do it on a document-by-document basis and you would have to open up the documents and do a find and do a redact. And with all of the automation stuff that I like doing, whether it's using Hazel to automatically file an OCR and do all of that kind of stuff, I wanted a way that I could automatically search and redact my PDF documents before I put them into my document management system. So I wasn't really comfortable with putting you know, say documents that had my social security number in it up into Evernote or documents that had my full bank account or credit card number in them up into Evernote. So now what you can do with this with this search and redact feature is that you can add redaction via Apple script to PDF Pen Pro version six. So it's a it's a very short, just about 10 line Apple script. And uh, and, and I'm sure we'll write it up when it's available. But what you can do is you can now um, with a quick Apple script, redact a specific string of text automatically. So I can tell you, this is getting added to all of my Hazel scripts so that I can redact certain strings of text from my documents 
before they get uploaded to Dropbox, before they get uploaded to Evernote or any of those other types of cloud services. And I feel like I'm going to be able to upload more documents to these types of cloud services. But I, I get that not everybody is as geeky as I do, and, and maybe they don't want to upload those kind of documents, or maybe they don't automatically want to redact information from their documents. I get that's kind of a niche. So the other feature of PDF Pen Pro 6, and there are a lot of them that I've been uh, interested in, but the other feature that I've I've really been digging recently as we've been testing out the beta is, you know, for a while in PDF Pen Pro, you've been able to uh, create forms. And I've been doing this a lot in my law practice, going through and creating forms for clients, you know, client info sheets and for different areas of the law. This is the information that I need. You can fill this in and send it back to me and creating forms out of this kind of stuff so that I didn't have to try to read everybody's handwriting. But I've got a lot of these forms already created, like in Microsoft Word templates with fill in the blank. And with PDF Pen Pro version 6, they have a one-button easy feature where it will automatically find the fields in a form and create forms for you. So before, it wasn't that difficult. You had to go and you say, okay, well, this is a text form. Well, this is a radio button. Well, this is a drop-down form. And you had to tell everything what it is. But it is pretty darn smart in being able to look at your form and tell you exactly okay, this is the kind of field I think this should be. This is the kind of field they think this should be. I think this should be a text field. I think this should be a button field. And you can go back and change it if it makes mistakes, which isn't very often. But those have been two of the newest features in PDF Pen Pro version 6 that I have really been digging. In addition to the export to Microsoft Word feature like you, there is so much in this new release. Um, I've, I've just been thrilled, and I know Greg's very happy that I won't be bugging him for... Uh, uh, automatic redactions. Oh, you'll find something new. It's okay. I'll find something new. There you the, go. Yeah, and the uh, overall though, I mean, you've got a new user interface for both versions. The the save to Word is on both the standard and the Pro version. The um, auto form generation will require the Pro version. So this is all the more reason to get in there early when they have that four to eight hour sale and just buy the Pro version. It's it's less than you would pay for the standard version once it goes on to the regular price. And it doesn't matter whether you owned it before or not, you know, we're all going to benefit from, you know, this kind of crazy app store stuff where you can't sell upgrades in the app store. So they're just going to put it on sale for everybody. So uh, if you haven't yet, this is a chance to go in there. Uh, I'm going to put the screencast in the links to the show notes here. And uh, I'll definitely be writing it up at Max Sparky when we know it's on sale. We think it's the 19th, but you know, it's kind of hard to predict. And, um, Everybody, uh, go get uh, PDF Pin. This is your chance. Yep, and uh, thanks to Smile and everybody there for all of their hard work on PDF Pen and PDF Pen Pro version six. And uh, thanks for continuing to support Mac Power users. Yeah, great sponsors and, and great people, and uh, just a great new product. Yeah, you know, I was thinking that that uh, Apple Script. We'll move on, but just that Apple Script you were talking about. One of yep. the best ways to implement that is a text expander snippet with a fill in. There you go. Yeah, and you so. can fill in, you can fill in different things depending on what you want to. Yeah, well, I mean, like if you wanted to do a social security number, but it was a different number every time, you could make a text expander snippet and have a fill in form and just type in the social security, and it would you know hunt and uh, redact for you. Right, or sometimes it's got dashes, sometimes it doesn't have the dashes. You know, it depends. Yeah. Anyway, um, so Lex, what's in your menu bar? You know, what are the little things you're using to to get by with all this work you're doing? So the the first one is Bartender, which I'm going to guess you both use now. Am I oh, right? Yeah. How can yep. you not? <laughs> so Bartender, of course, to manage all of the 
other icons that are in your menu bar. I think that was like my favorite app of 2012. I mean, it just, it made me so happy when I got it installed. The, um, you know, I start, I started using bartender very early on after its release. And at first I didn't like it because I kept finding that icons were hopping out, especially the Dropbox icon. Whenever we do something in the background, it would jump out. And as I, as I realized that I had misunderstood the settings, (laughs) right. Then suddenly I was like, wait a second, this is a wonderful app. Of course it does everything right. So most of my menu bar apps are hidden under, uh, are hidden under bartender now, but the ones that get to, to live there full time. Uh, in my actual menu bar right now that helped me with my worker. I already mentioned quick cursor. Um, I use an app called take five, which I think is for people who have exactly my brain and my weaknesses. Take five is from, uh, the icon factory. And, you know, I, I listen to music a lot while I'm working. I pause iTunes whenever a call comes in or if I, you know, if we have a meeting or if I leave the office for uh, some time or something, I'll pause it and I would forget to restart it again. So with take five, it pauses my music for just five minutes and it shows a little countdown timer in the menu bar and automatically starts replaying it again five minutes later. If I know I'm going to be on a call for 45 minutes, I can just drag a little slider and say, don't start the music again for an hour and it takes care of it. Otherwise, I would get to five o'clock each day and realize, hey, I haven't listened to anything all day. Why yeah, deprive myself of that joy? We had Craig Hockenberry on the show about three or four months ago, and he was saying that's an app that was developed solely for his own use. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think there is a, a, a crew of people with that weakness, and uh, Craig and I are definitely in it. Yeah. Um, so the other two that I use, uh, I use Cloud App a lot. Because that's another, I guess, speaking of collaboration, when we're taking screenshots or discussing visual things back and forth at Macworld, we'll use Cloud App to very quickly get auto-generated URLs from screenshots that we're taking. And um, then the, I guess the one of the newer apps in my menu bar is Trickster, um, which I really like. And it's Trickster is sort of like the the recently the recent items menu in the Apple menu where you get your recent documents that you've been working on. Yeah. But it's it's much smarter than that. It's got custom filters and it can show documents by type. It can show applications by type and you can set up filters. So, you know, any recently changed, it's sort of like also the, the all my files view on the, in the finder and mountain line where yeah. it, but it's, you know, it's just very smart and searchable. And if I'm, you know, I happen to work on a lot of stories at once sometimes and um, being able to very quickly get to back to those files from that menu has proven very useful. Even if I only use it once or twice a week, it's totally worth it just for that one or two pick-me-ups, you know, um, that efficiency boost that it provides. Yeah. And uh, it, it is very similar to that um, that terminal command you run to create the icons in the dock. Exactly. But it's all in one. It's, it's all in one, and it's it's, I think, very well designed. And then I guess the other things, the things that are tucked away in uh, Bartender are apps like... Uh, well, Fantastical lives in the menu bar proper, but then um, in Bartender, I've got Text Expander, which I use constantly every day. New NEU, which I use for creating new documents in specific places, um, and that's where Dropbox lives too. Yeah, and that's one of the nice features of Bartender is when Dropbox is active, it jumps up to the active menu bar. So, like when I'm uploading something, I'm working on a project right now. And we're sharing a very large file and it's great to know, you know, when it's still working and you see it in the menu bar. And then when it's done, bartender just drops it down into the hidden menu. Yeah. Have you, have have you tried pop clip? 
I have not tried Pop Clip, although I hear wonderful things about it. Convince me that I should use it's, it. It's you know, I just it's one that's been in my menu bar, and I realize I'm using it increasingly. And it's so when it it recreates the behavior in iOS when you select text where it pops up, you know, copy, paste, etc. Right. But uh, Pop Clip, and it only works when you use the mouse to select text. It's very clever that way. So like if I use the uh, keyboard to select text, it doesn't show up. But if I use the mouse to select text, it does. And the options it gives you are are vast. I mean, you can like you can I uh, can save the text to an OmniFocus task. I can look it up in Wikipedia. It's got a plug-in architecture, and everybody's jumping on it. So there's all these great things. Like a word count is another good one. You know, like stuff I do for you guys at MacWorld. I want to know what my word count is. I can just select text, and it'll give me a, a word count. Um, By the way, another great reason to use BB Edit since it gives me that live word count. Yeah, at all times, and when I highlight text, it shows me just the word count for the highlighted section. So, just yeah. wanted to not your point, but I just want to throw that in there. It's very useful to me as somebody who gets specific word limits on occasion. Yeah. Now, pop clip is a surprising pick for you, David, because you know you're such a you're, you're such a keyboard guru. So, do you disable some of the you know the cut, copy, paste that you would normally do from the keyboard, or do you keep those in there too? Well, because I found it can be a little bit annoying sometimes popping up all the time when I highlight something. Well, it, it can get distracting, but when I'm using the um, trackpad, you know, it's it's generally I, I do most of my work anymore on my laptop. But when I'm using the trackpad to select text, I, I like having it there, and it it's like services really, but it's one step closer. So. Like formatting text is a good example. If I need something I want to convert to all bold or or change case, and I've got pop clip plugins for that. Um, I think I've got an Envy Alt one there now. So I've I've got quite a few plugins in here. So I don't know. I, I'm finding I use it. So there you have it. One, okay. one thing that's interesting to me, and again, I haven't ever used it, although I'm familiar with the app, is that it's, it seems like that pop over menu bar over selected text actually makes more sense on the Mac. I get why they use it on iOS, but to me, although we waited a long time for Apple to get copy-paste on the iPhone and you know, folks like John Gruber have said that part of the wait was so they could make sure they got it right and that's why it's so great, I don't think it's that great. I think that selecting text and highlighting it and copying and pasting on iOS is annoying and those tiny tap targets on the iPhone are annoying and it feels like actually using the precision mouse pointers instead on the Mac probably makes more sense for interfaces of that size and type. I mean, one of the things I think you just have to accept is iOS is slower than using a Mac. I mean, yeah. no matter how good you are at it, uh, a keyboard and a mouse are extremely efficient. And I, I don't think you can do it as fast. And I'm not sure any app, even when you have an app that's designed specifically for the for the platform, uh, there's certain things that are just going to take a little bit longer. And uh, one of the things I've tried to do over the past is is get over that a little bit and realize, okay, well, it's going to take a little bit longer. But, you know, what, just walking into Starbucks or Pete's Coffee with this little device and working on it, it's, it feels right to me. And I'm okay if it takes me just a little bit longer. Oh, and there's no doubt, you know, I'll prefer many tasks on the iPad whenever possible just because it's more enjoyable. Even if I'm in the comfort of my own home, it's just many tasks are more enjoyable on the iPad than they are on a Mac. Yeah. I, I have to say, though, and uh, don't tell anyone I told you this, but um, text selection and copying and pasting on Windows Phone is, is still flawed, but is, is a little bit better than on iOS. I'm I haven't, you know, I haven't tried it. How is it different? 
Well, I'm I'm spending a month with Windows Phone for MacWorld right now. That's I have right. my iPhone available. That's right. You just posted your second week, right? That's I think right. I saw that today go up. And um, so, for one, you tap and hold, and instead of getting the uh, the little loop, you get the actual iBeam cursor. And as you're dragging, you see exactly where the iBeam cursor is going to go, and that's what you're dragging around, which makes good sense. And then, instead of having those tiny copy-paste tap targets, you get uh, – there's an extra button that appears to indicate take this selected text and copy it. And it's not right by the text. It's nearer the keyboard. And then once that's there, that little – the fact that there is something on the keyboard means that extra tray stays above the keyboard whenever you're in text editing mode so that you can press a, another button to paste whenever you're ready. So you don't have to get a contextual – you don't have to wait until you've gotten to the right spot and done an extra tap to get the paste button to appear. It's just there as long as text has been recently copied onto the clipboard. And it's I mean, they're, they're minute differences, but they, they work well. You know, it's funny. I I guess I'm just an Apple fanboy because I really like the iPhone and I haven't spent any real significant time using an Amazon phone or a Windows phone. But I've just I've got it working. And I, you know, my my point of all this stuff that I talk about on the show is to actually get work done. And, um, you know, I just don't see. Any I like des- that goal. I, I don't see any desire. Uh, but, you know, you, you're in a different spot. So you get to play with this a little bit more. And, uh you know, it's it's a very interesting interface. The thing I like about the the Windows Phone, from what I've seen of it, is it it's a different interface. It doesn't look like a ripoff of the iPhone. That's that's exactly what I like about it. It feels like they are really genuinely trying to do something different, and not everything they're doing is is better. But I mean, really, my expectation now. I think after the first week, I was so awed by the newness that I was like, man, this, this I didn't think it w- was going to replace my iPhone, but I felt open to the possibility that it could yeah. two weeks or two and a half weeks in. I feel less inclined to believe that there's a chance I'll abandon my iPhone for this windows phone. But I'm certain no matter what, that at the end of the month, when I make a decision about what phone to stick with, and like I say, I think I'm leaning, you know, iPhone or I'm, I'm confidently right now leaning iPhone, whichever one I end up sticking with, I'll miss features from the other. There are things that both do better than the other and there are things that both do worse than the other. And I'm just going to eventually decide based on which one does more things right. But Windows Phone does plenty right, whether it's the winner or not. Well, for me, I remember so many years of trying to use a Mac with like a, a you know, a Palm or something. And it was always so hard to go between different platforms. And one of the big advantages to me of using an iPhone is I use a Mac, I use an iPhone. Everything is by one guy, and it all just kind of works together. Sure. And um, and that's a real benefit. If if I was really invested in the Windows platform, I could see maybe I would think the same thing and want to use a Windows phone. And you know the the nice thing is with all these cloud services that we rely on these days that there's a little bit less of that now. Yeah, you know, you're, um, you're right. That's probably a false worry at this point to a certain extent. Exactly. Like, I, I didn't have to change anything on my Mac to get the calendar, email, and contact syncing because those were all Google-powered. So I just logged into my Google account, and uh, the Windows phone had all my meetings. Now, the annoying thing here is that since it's Microsoft, they want me to use live.com, which I think they own <laughs> for calendars. Yeah. And so every time I go to add a new calendar event, I can't seem to get it to change the default calendar. There's no setting for that. So each time it says, oh, you must want to put this on your live.com calendar. And I say, no, I don't even know what a live.com calendar is. I'd like to put it on the calendar with all my other stuff instead, please. But 
you know, with with that minor annoyance aside, it's uh, you know they, they've got a syncing app. It's it's a, a Windows Phone app that exists in the Mac App Store, and I was as surprised as you are. But you know, you install that app, and it's not a great app. It's not impressive or anything. But you install that app, and it can copy iTunes playlists, and it can you know it it asks the right questions. It's a clunky app, but it says you know, do you want to sync podcasts? Do you want to sync movies and TV shows? And which of these playlists and artists and albums do you want to sync? And it's. Uh, I mean, it, it feels a little bit cobbled together, but it works. And I, I miss things like iTunes Match. It's when you get to the really niche Apple-powered stuff that you can only get on the iOS that you, you start to feel that, man, I'm missing out on the benefits of having a single ecosystem. Yeah, I mean, my family is really deep in this photo sharing now. I mean, because we all have iPhones, and it makes it really easy when we have family events, and that's something I would definitely miss. But, you know, just the idea, as you explained it to me, I was sitting here thinking, so here's a guy who works on a Mac – and is largely invested in the Google, you know, cloud services for pretty much everything from what I'm hearing. Right. And he's using a Windows phone. And it, and the fact that you can even do that is is something. Yeah, it's I, I we live in the future and I really like it. I mean, you're right. I, the only I would never have thought to say, hey, I'm going to spend some time with a Windows phone if I well, I'll be really frank, if I had to pay for it. But the fact that Microsoft said, sure, we'll send it to you because we think that, you know, you're going to like it and we'll get good press attention out of it um, is, is what made it possible. But. I the fact that we can do all these things and that you can use those three competitive platforms together in a in a fairly seamless way and get started pretty quickly is is astonishing and it's what's really surprising about it is that it despite maybe their best efforts it really works pretty well. You know the the default email app on Windows Phone is uh subpar and it doesn't offer any kind of Gmail archiving option so if you delete a message it's it actually goes into the trash. So it's, it's not perfect. But the fact that I can instantly get all of those accounts set up, including contacts and calendars and everything, it's 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 got the same data. And I know the tweaks I'm making now, I've added contacts on my Windows phone. They're going to show up on my iPad and they'll show up on the iPhone if I switch back to that. Uh, it's it, it's very, very close to magical. And the fact that it all can work is pretty exciting. You, you hear about people saying how you know, that which platform is going to be the big winner. And everybody always wants to apply the old Windows Mac analogy. And it's just not true. We live in a multi-platform world. And it seems to me that, you know, we're never going back to a 98% winner. Right. And I don't really care. I mean, I think Apple's making plenty of money. If I like their devices, they're going to continue to make them. So long as they can, you know, keep delivering. And uh, I like their chances. Yeah, I think they're okay. Hundred was a hundred billion in the bank or something. I think they're fine. Yeah, that's a, that's another article. <laughs> uh, but the um, um, Lex, you know, we're, we're hitting an hour and a half, which is the magic hour, right? We always say we're going to go an hour, and we get to an hour and a half. But you know, just it the, happens. The, the last part, and and I hope I'm not intruding. You tell me, and we can stop if I am. But when we were at MacWorld, you said something to me that I thought was really inspiring. You were talking about how. You know, you were very successful in the web business, uh, the things you were doing. And then um, you came over to Macworld several years ago and you said, hey, I know what the price of happiness is. Um, and, <laughs> you know, and I thought that was really amazing. So you, you took a job that paid less but did what you were really passionate about. And it's clearly working for you. Yeah, you know, um, you pretty much nailed the story. I don't know what you want me to add. But uh, like you said, you know, I was working at some large Internet companies and Internet companies – 
well, many of them these days, the successful ones are flush with cash and they paid accordingly. Uh, and I had started freelancing for Macworld because I had seen a Jason Snell tweet about, hey, write for Macworld, email this address. And I thought it'd be fun on a lark to be published in a magazine I'd read since I was a kid. Um, and when I realized over time that uh, the happiest times of my week professionally were when I was spending nights and weekends writing for Macworld and that my day job wasn't providing that level of you know enjoyment and satisfaction – I thought I'm going to make this. I want to make this switch. And Jason was, you know, immediately quick to to point out to say, you know, uh, these are very different industries, and you'd have to take a massive pay cut. And I did have to take a massive pay cut. I cut my salary in a little bit more than half. Um, but uh, what I had decided was, like you just said, you know, I wanted to enjoy my work. I wanted to. You spend much of your life working, and I wanted to do something that I loved. The thing is, you know, when a new OS comes out from Apple, or if a new i device comes out, I want to play with it. And the fact that now I can play with it and also get paid for it is very exciting to me. Um, and the other side of that was I wanted to be able to tell my kids who are too young now, but I'm hopeful, you know, when they get a little bit older and I can talk to them about this some more. I wanted to be able to say, uh, not just say that there are more important things than money, but to show them, look, you know, we made sacrifices and we made changes to to our lives because it made more sense for daddy to do a job where he really felt proud of what he was doing each day and he loved what he was doing each day versus an internet job that paid great, but that just wasn't as emotionally satisfying in, in numerous ways. Well, I, I thought it just shows a level of maturity that, that we all wish we had in ourselves. And, um, and it really impressed me. <laughs> well, thank you. I mean, it's, uh, I think if you spend more time with me, I can show you immaturity in many ways too, but I, I understand what you're saying, at least on this topic. Yeah. <laughs> Well, uh, Lex, thanks for coming in and, and sharing all your uh, your tips and tricks and, and inspiration with us. And uh, we continue to follow you, and we're going to be watching or listening to Unprofessional and reading your articles at Macworld. And uh, just just thanks for everything you're giving us, Lex. Well, thank you. It's a real it's pleasure. Good. It's a, it, thank you. It's it's a delight to join you both, and I, I love what you do on this show, and um, I'm happy to be here. Great. Lex, where can where, what, where's the best place for people to find you? Should they follow you on Twitter? Do you have a, a blog or a site that, that kind of aggregates all of your stuff? Or where should we point people to? Um, I would say, you know, Lex Fry on Twitter or app.net are good. And LexFriedman.com has links to everything I create. Sounds good. And we will have links to mostly everything. And I'm sure they'll tell us if we miss things that we, you talked about on this episode in the show notes, which you can find at MacPowerUsers.com. Or at 5x5.tv slash MPU, and this show is 129, so slash 129. Yeah, you can uh, send us email to feedback at MacPowerUsers.com, and you can contact us on Twitter. We're at MacPowerUsers. Katie's at Katie Floyd. I'm at Max Barkey, and Lex is at Lex Free, L-E-X-F-R-I. Right? That's right. Uh, that's from memory. Pretty good. All right. All right, gang. Well, thanks for joining us, and uh, we'll see you all next time.